for God, for the living God. When, I, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my whole day and night. While they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I will go with the throne and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and storm of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. What are you cast down, O my soul? And what are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Nisar, deep called to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversary struck me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen. All right. Tonight's going to look a little bit different if it hasn't already been obvious. It's hard to plan when you're a church plant. It's probably going to be a little bit more of a talk slash teaching. Some of it might qualify as preaching. I'm not really sure yet. We'll see how the, uh, the evening unfolds. If you're wondering, did he not prepare? No, I did prepare. I've got a full manuscript, but it's probably going to be a little bit more raw than that. Um, thanks for joining, Joseph. <laughs> it's always good to have your presence here um, with us. So uh, we've been going through our vision and values as a church. And as a church, we say that we are a group of ordinary people changed by the love of Jesus in the context of family, living out his mission to our community, our city, and our world. Now, that is still our vision statement. But when I think about vision statements, they're usually pretty generic. And really, when I look at the church globally, I think, man, we really should all kind of have the same vision statement. They shouldn't be too like crazy one way or the other. It is easy to say that statement. <laughs> it's easy to put it on a website and it's easy to read it. It's much harder to actually do it and actually uh, live it out. And so we've taken the last few weeks to look at uh, how do we practically do this by focusing on three values, gospel, the good news of Jesus, it's all for all people. We talked about the power of the gospel message and uh, that is going to remain. And so if you stick with Sojourn and you know, give us any length of time, it's always going to be funneled through the gospel and, and what is that power uh, family. We operate as a family of servant missionaries that have been changed by Jesus. Uh, once again, that family piece, that's a really, really difficult one. Think about your biological family. Many of us don't like to spend time with our biological families, at least our extended family, you know, get-togethers and cousins and aunts and uncles, and we're like, why do I have to see that one? And so when you incorporate that into the church, which when we looked at that, the New Testament, it really shows that value of family. It's really hard to actually live that out. Uh, and and that's why I actually would think most churches don't actually operate as a family. They really operate more as a business and as a, as a machine, which is not what our value is. And then mission. We looked at last week that this idea of mission, both locally and globally, 
to serve our community and our world, which Mike McCoy, I thought, did a great job. He kind of showed us uh, three main things. You abide in Christ, which is what we're going to do uh, through the Word and praying. We pray with expectancy that God will show up. So I'm not going to ask this week, but anybody do that, that you pray, like expecting God to actually move. And then uh, making a list of names of people, just who is it I'm praying for intentionally and trying to go spend time with them, whether it's coffee or a meal, and uh, invest in their life. And so my hope is that you've seen that our vision and our values are birthed out of Scripture, that they weren't just something that Andrea and I came up with on some whiteboard and said, well, that one would sound good and that would be good, but they're actually birthed out of that. And there are also a lot of other smaller values, I'd say, that are encompassed within those three main ones. And so sometimes like churches will have five or some churches have 10 values. I'm like, well, I can put all of those, I think, within gospel, family, and mission. And that's fine if they have 10, but we're going to keep ours to uh, three for now. Uh, and for me, when I look at, at 2020 and starting this year, and I look back at 2019, 2019 was really, really difficult for me. Um, in fact, the last few weeks have been really, really difficult for me. And so I know there's only a few of us in the room tonight, but I want to be clear in saying this. As a church, we are at a crossroads. We are not at a crisis. And so if maybe, maybe you think, like, man, are we at a crisis? Like, are we, like, are we jumping ship? Are things over? Like, no, I think we're truly at a crossroads. And think about when you drive on a highway, if you ever go through the cities, I mean, Portland has them with bridges, and you kind of cross, you're like, do I go this way or do I go this way? And if you're new to a city like Portland, like Madison is, you get lost. So you got to use a GPS because you hit that crossroads. So I'd say as a church, we are at a crossroads and, and really seeking the Lord and saying, what is it in this crossroads? What, which way are we to go? Are we to go to this way or are we to go that way? But we're not at a crisis. I think some people could look from the outside and, and say, man, man, are you guys at a crisis? And It'd be easy on man's part to go like, well, yeah, I mean, if people are leaving, if you're doing this, then you're at a crisis. But no, we are at a crossroads. And so part of my goal is not to give you everything, but to look forward for the next month, few months, this year, and even the coming years and say, all right, where is it the Lord is leading us? And so we felt like during this time of year, January is a great time to visit your vision as a church. And what, is, what does that actually look like? And our vision doesn't really change too much from year to year. Like if you were here a year ago, you'd say like, it doesn't sound too different but really just kind of grow into it. We mature into what our vision is actually going to uh, look like. And the whole reason that we exist, and I want to keep this really in front of us, as long as I'm here, I guess, at this church, is that we want to see lives changed by Jesus. And so sometimes people think like, well, what does the church exist for? Like, man, if, you, if we could do cooler curtains, I know we try to do curtains and they won't let us do it in this building. Or man, does the church exist to pack out the stamp building? Or, or do we exist to put on like better events than city of Portland does? Like, no, we exist to see lives change by Jesus. And that is, I mean, that's really the purely, when you strip it all back, like why do we do what we do? We do everything we do for that reason. We, we want to see men, women, and children go from death to life, and we believe that we have the answer to do that. And it doesn't come through some of those other more superficial things. And so that's how we define success. So if you're wondering, like, how are we going to define success as a church in 2020 and beyond? We're going to define success by seeing life's change around us. And so that is not trying to get a bunch of Christians from other churches to move here or, or Christians from even other cities to move here, but us seeing people who right now, tonight, are probably sitting on their couch watching Netflix or eating dinner or doing any other thing and seeing those people embrace Jesus and worship Jesus. And so during this crossroads where we found ourselves, I've been asking myself several questions. So I'm just kind of being transparent and opening up tonight. I hope you don't mind that I do it that way. And I really have funneled these questions through our values. And since we've been looking at our values, I thought, man, 
This is kind of how I'm framing them in my head. And the first question I've been asking myself is, is the gospel necessary? So we say gospel is our first value and the power of the gospel, but we're also Christians. Like, we're supposed to say that. Like, we're not supposed to say the gospel is not necessary. And so I've kind of taken a step back and said, is the gospel actually necessary? God truly humbled me last year. And in many ways, I feel like I've been crushed and that I've been, in a sense, beat up. And so I've started asking God, God, am I going to make it? Like me as an individual, am I going to make it? Are we going to make it? Is, is the church going to move beyond like where we're at or is this it? And this is one of those questions that as Christians, we're told don't ask these questions, right? Just have faith and, you know, smile. And we have the, you know, pull up your bootstraps and just trust God and rest in God. And like, we believe all those things, but we're also, we kind of get the sense like, I can't ask these questions. Like, am I allowed to ask that question as a Christian? And we think, no, like that will be hushed. So you don't ask that. Maybe to your like, best, best friend, but you don't want to do it in your discipleship group because you're concerned that people are going to judge you. And then definitely not as a pastor. Like, you're not supposed to ask yourself this, this question. But I started asking myself, if these values, do they just sound good? Is it just because it's really easy? Like, I like things simple, you know, like bullet points, three things, really easy. Or are they actually necessary? Or do these values actually matter? And so the last several weeks, it's been rough on me. And I've pleaded and I've literally cried before God. And so as a result, when I ask myself, is the gospel necessary? I've come to the conclusion the gospel is more than necessary. It's absolutely needed. It's needed for my life. It's needed for your life. It's needed in our neighborhood. It's needed in our city. And it's needed in our world. And as I'm processing, I'm going seriously, what else are we going to lean on when the crap hits the fan? Like what else are you going to look to when things just go to crap? I thought, well, my own strength your own strength will fail you. You might be a really strong person and think, man, I've got this. It will fail you. I'm hoping no one in here, but maybe. Maybe drinking. Like there's a lot of breweries are saying, like, I'm going to turn to drinking. Drinking will let you down and hangovers suck. Smoking. Well, it'll give you cancer or a momentary high, depending on what you're smoking. Uh, maybe skiing and sports. Well, it's only decent for half the season. You'll probably get injured. And so there's all these other things. Uh, and I'm kind of, kind of looking at this like broadly, not just the room, but what does our city turn to? Like, what is it that we look to in our city? It's all of these things. And so as I look back at 2019 and the mistakes and failures and, and just go, what is it that we need? And so what does that practically mean for us in 2020? And what that practically means is that we will focus more on the gospel because we need it. Because I need it, because you need it, and I believe that our city needs it more than ever. And we're moving into an election year, so that definitely means we need more of the gospel. <coughs> The second question I've been asking myself as I framed it through our values is, will the church really be a family? Will this church really be family? There's things that I've been hesitant, maybe decisions and moves to make over this last year, but my fear has been, how are the people going to respond to this? Or am I going to burn the people out because of making these decisions? And just know that my heart is to care for you and to lead you well. That you're not just some number on a report, but that you are a real person that, and a real face and someone that we love. Many of you may have reasons to not feel that way. You may feel like, Matt doesn't always love me well. Well, I'm like anyone. I don't do the best job always, but we do love you. I love you. Andrea loves you. And I want to continue to make these gatherings feel like family. I never want this to turn into an event that people just show up to and attend because, hey, it's church and we have to do that. You know, there's too many of those out there. 
But I want this to be a family. And I want us to continue the potlucks and dinners on Alberta and, and all the other things, going to art galleries. Not because it's like, oh, I've got to do that because I feel obligated to do it because I'm part of this church and they're going to do it. Like, no, because you want to. Like, I want it to pain you when you have to miss a gathering that we're having together because you're sick. And you're like, I want to be there because my people are there. My community is there. And they're pursuing the Lord together and they're getting to fellowship with one another. Now, this is what actually attracts most people to sojourn initially. All the people who aren't sitting in these seats tonight, but who've come here over the last year, without a doubt, almost every single one of them says, man, your community, your family feel is what really attracted me to you guys. Because I'll meet with people and say, like, what is it about Sojourn? What's different from maybe any other church or wherever, wherever you've been? And it's that. But here's what normally happens. After some weeks, some months, the enemy creeps in, and what initially attracts you to, to Sojourn is now what you start questioning. Now, if you're in a relationship, whether it's a boyfriend or it's a spouse, you've probably experienced this. Think about it. What initially attracted you to that person, the jokes you thought were funny and their, their witty humor or that little tick they had that you're like, oh, that's just so cute. Well, then you start dating them and a few months in, you're like, oh, that annoys the heck out of me. I really wish they would stop doing that. So I, I know I got some laughs. So you can probably thinking right now, like what it is. And so I think sojourns that same way that that people are, are they attracted to this? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, now that's actually, I'm not so sure. Now in a sense that almost is what is uh, annoying me about that church, maybe what I'm questioning about it. And so right now we are in a season, as much as it has pained me, of pruning. So you think about plants. We have a, a big garden box in front of my house. It's about the size of this carpet. And right now it's winter. So we've got all these dead tomato plants, which we need, probably need to rip up. And so you think about gardening, during the winter months, we, we need to pull those out and then certain things you need to cut back. I'm not a gardener, so I don't know a ton about it, but I know that things die in the winter. And so we're kind of in that season, even as a church, there's certain things that need to be pruned back and need to be cut back. But then what usually what happens after the winter? We know that spring comes and the sunshine that we got a glimpse of yesterday and today, praise God, um, will come out and we'll have more blue sky. And all of a sudden everything in our city is just going to pop and it just blooms, you know, come April. And so I can't guarantee when that'll happen with our church, but I feel like that is the season that we're in as a church, that we are being pruned back and that some of the things that need to be cut off are being cut off, but that there's going to be something beautiful that comes out of that and that there's going to be some spring um, blossoms that res- come as a result. And so part of what I want us to do in this, this kind of this value of family is we need to continue in 2020 to push one another towards what is right, not just what is comfortable. I've had to take several decisions over the last year that aren't comfortable, but they are right. And some of you have encouraged me and pushed me into those. And so I thank you for that. And so I want to invite all of us, myself included, in 2020 to sacrifice even more. Maybe think through what prompted you to to be even in this city, or maybe your dreams and your desires and say, I'm going to lay those down and sacrifice for what God is calling us to do as a family, as a church, not even knowing what that will look like. The third question I've been asking myself is involving mission. Will there be much joy in this city because of us? Think of it this way. If our church ceased to exist, if tonight I said, you know what? This is our last service. By the way, this is not our last service. But if I said tonight's our last service, um, thanks for coming. We are shutting it down. We're giving everything away. We're having a big party here at the stamp building. Uh, We're going to burn the place down. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) would, Would people be sad? Would people actually mourn because Sojourn no longer existed? Now, you may not always see it. 
I know you'd be really sitting there thinking like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe no one even notices that we're here. Clearly, you know, if they're not coming and interacting with us. But I would say the difference that we've made in this city, particularly in Northeast Portland in this neighborhood has been quite phenomenal. People, people can easily be critical and saying, well, you guys don't do enough or you, don't, you need to do more. And I get it. I often feel that way. We get so many opportunities. You guys wouldn't like emails all the time. Can you guys help with this? And phone calls can you help with this. I always have to say like, we can do those things. Maybe those, no, we can't do those. And I love that people ask us because that means that we have shown up enough and we've shown ourselves faithful enough to do these things. But I also often struggle to celebrate what God is doing through us in this community. And maybe you're with me. Maybe, maybe you struggle to celebrate what it is that God is actually doing. And so Sojourn Church is making a difference in this community. A few examples, and I, and I do want us to grow in these, though. Uh, we have a presence at Vernon School, a K-8, 600-student uh, school in our neighborhood, a Portland public school. When we moved here, people were like, I don't know, they're not going to partner with you. And it took us a solid six months to a year for them to even let us come in and do what we do. Madison and I were there doing donuts and coffee the other day, and they love that. But we want to grow beyond that. They have lots of needs, tutoring of students and helping out with the teachers and just a plethora of opportunities. But we are making a difference there, and they call on us regularly to ask if we can do things. We have a partnership with Concordia Neighborhood Association, um, you know, in the neighborhood that we primarily live in and, and, and focus on. Once again, they call us on a regular basis, say, can you guys help us do these things? They were the same way two and a half years ago. Initially, there was like church, like, I don't know, what does the church want? What's the agenda? And now they're gladly saying, would you guys help this? Would you sponsor this event? Do you have a team coming in that can help do some of these things? Northwest Collegiate Ministries in, in Concordia University. So two colleges where we're working at PCC Cascade and Concordia University. Um, at, at PCC Cascade, it's working in partnership with a, an existing collegiate ministry. And at Concordia, it's kind of we're in the process of figuring out what does it look like to go beyond tabling and beyond speaking in chapel. But we uh, have a great relationship with them or considered a community member. Embrace Oregon, helping out with the DHS Department of Human, um, Department of Human Services with the foster care um, children in our city and, and just really... Uh, a lot of opportunities there to grow. And then Portland Rescue Mission. I mean, if you just look around, even our own neighborhood, more and more tents are getting like popping up because there's a huge houselessness issue in our city and saying, how is it that we cannot shun those people and really our neighbors? And how is it that we're not necessarily going to tackle that problem and figure it out, but what is it that we can do as a church to partner with the Portland Rescue Mission? And then as you heard, Thursday night, we're going to do serve night. And so I say all those things, say we are making a difference, even when it doesn't feel like it. But I think it's a good reminder for us to celebrate and go, no, there is kingdom work that's actually happening here. Can we do better? Absolutely. But I refuse to not recognize that we are actually doing something and making a difference in our, in our community, in our city. And I also refuse to make changes just so we're more Instagram worthy. I mean, there's things that we could do to make our church look a whole lot cooler and, and we could skew things and look a different way. We go like, no, like we're not called to be the Instagram worthy church. We're not called to be the hip and cool church, but we are called to be the faithful church in this community, how God wants us to partner um, with what our community looks like here in Northeast Portland. And so the mission is going to go forward regardless of what happened in 2019 to us as individuals, to us as a church. And God has continued to be faithful. He's answering our prayers. He's even opened up this kid's space, this other room back here. We've been praying for that for months. We just found out this week that space is now available. And so we can start figuring out what does it look like to do some type of kid's discipleship. Not babysitting, but kid's discipleship. We have more and more partners who are saying, we want to continue on with you guys for the next several years. And so that's both praying for us. Actually, we have more people probably praying for us right now than we've ever had in the existence of our church. Praise God for that. And I ask that they continue. 
We've got people who want to financially support our church, who want to help. We have multiple groups who want to send teams out here from Texas and Florida. And, and we keep getting emails weekly about college students who want to come do something this summer, who, who I don't even know where they're coming from half the time. I'm like, wait a minute, do we want to say yes to all these opportunities? And so we're discerning that. But to say that God is continuing to move and continuing to draw um, attention to Portland and then also for people to partner with what it is that he wants to do here at Sojourn. And so I want us to look just briefly at a passage in the book of Acts tonight. I want us to turn to Acts 2, and we're going to look at verses 42 through 47. And what we'll see here is probably a very familiar passage. Your Bible probably says a heading of the fellowship of the believers. This is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And what you'll see here is that the early church in the book of Acts, they structured their lives around three major values. And I would argue these values are the same values that Sojourn Church structures our lives around, which is where we get the idea of gospel family mission. Now, I may not say it explicitly, but if you kind of read throughout here, this is where we really came up with these values as a church. So when you wonder, like, where did they come up with these values? Well, we looked back at the early church. I think they're a really good example and model of, of what it is to do and act as a church. And so this is where we came up with those. And so let's read, we'll just read the whole passage, verses 42 through 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So when you read a very familiar passage like this, what I, what I think we really get is a snapshot. So imagine I handed you a postcard tonight and said, like, here it is. This is what Sojourn Church, what I want us to look like. Like, this is the snapshot, kind of the DNA of what we see in the early church to say, this is what we want for Sojourn. That's what we like to say. We're a New Testament church, you know. Um, this, this is how we want a, uh, the church to be formed. And so if you look at the first church, they were known for being a movement that gathered around a mission. We won't turn there, but back in Acts 1.8, which Mike uh, actually referenced last week, it says, But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we see that the mission was given first, and then the church was formed around the mission in Acts 2. And so I've heard it described this way. God doesn't have a mission for his church. He made a church for his mission. So the mission piece existed before the church ever existed. And so that's why as a church, we say, like, this is the mission that we want to follow because it existed first before we ever saw the church form. And so when you look back through these verses, we'll just kind of walk through them briefly. The first commitment and value that we see here is the gospel. In verse 42, it says, They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so I want us to pause on that word, devoted. 2019, I kind of take, I took that word and said, man, that's the word that's going to, I want to describe sojourn. Here we are in 2020, that's the word that I want to take to describe sojourn. I want us to be known for being devoted. This is probably one of my, uh, maybe my pet peeves. I can easily get off on a tangent with this. I'll try not to tonight. But I see so little devotion in the church today. Not, not speaking of sojourn, I'm speaking the church, like at least in the U.S., the American church. There's so much little devotion. 
to, to these things and to one another. I know a church that um, in this city who's been operating for about 30 years. And there's some things you can look at and say, man, but they're not doing this, they're not doing this, and they haven't grown much. But man, the one of the beautiful things that they have is devotion. They're devoted to these things and they're devoted to one another. And so that is one of the things. When, when people would see Sojourn, regardless big or small, what do I want them to say? I want them to say, man, they're devoted to these things that we see in the New Testament church. Francis Chan, I imagine most of you are familiar with that name. He, he said, there's a key word in this passage that separates the attempts of our modern church from the first church, devoted. So much of our discussion nowadays revolves around how to make the most of our Sunday gatherings. If people are willing to sacrifice 90 minutes a week, should we spend our time singing, preaching, or praying? Should we have small or large group gatherings? These are all the wrong questions. We should instead be asking why Christians are willing to give only 90 minutes a week, if that, to the only thing that really matters in their lives. I think he's on to something there. And so right away, we're given four things that they, were devoted, they devoted themselves to. The first, it says the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So this would obviously include the teachings that Jesus had given them. These people loved and knew their Bibles. And so my question for us is, do we? Do, do we, are we really devoted to the apostles' teaching? You think about something you're devoted to or passionate about, you don't normally have to be trained on how to do it. You just naturally do it. Example, I've used this example before, I love my wife, I love Andrea. But when we started dating, when I met her at 18 years old, which was two years ago, um, when I met Andrea, no one had to tell me like how to pursue her or how to get to know her. It was just like, man, I wanted to spend time with her. I was devoted and, and I was, I was uh, desired to be devoted to her, to learn all these things about her. And, you know, if, uh, her accent was really strong then. So we had a like, really long conversation about what she was saying to me. But I just desired to be with her. And I got to know all about her. But are we devoted to the apostles' teaching? It tells us in 1 Timothy 4.13, we're told by the Apostle Paul to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. That's one reason that we read Scripture publicly here. We had Andrea read Psalm 42, and, and we're, we're publicly reading this passage here this evening. I want us to be known as people of the Word and people who are devoted to the Word. This is one reason that our tables last, um, in the last year went through the New Testament together. We have a Bible reading plan on our blog. Now, some of you might say, I don't need a Bible reading plan. I've got a Bible. I felt that way for years. I thought Bible reading plans were pretty cheesy. Like, well, I don't need that. And what I found is, I wouldn't always read the Bible. And you think about most things that you're actually going to get good at is you have some type of plan. And so the, there is, I think, five plans on our blog. If you, don't, if you haven't started one for 2020, I highly encourage you to do that. The second thing that we see that they devote themselves to is fellowship. Now, as, as Chan kind of mentioned, a lot of, a lot of people in church today have kind of reduced church to this maybe hour to an hour and a half meeting, and, and that's kind of it. But for the early church, we see the fellowship of the first church was all-encompassing by participating sharing all aspects of life, including material things. And so they, they met, I met, you know, kind of like we're doing tonight, and then they also met around tables, which is why we call our discipleship groups tables, because they meet around those smaller tables. And so it was more than a once-a-week meeting, but it was 24-7 family life, which is why we really value family here at Sojourn. I know that people think it can be cliche to say that we're like family to one another because only your family is family, right? You know, you think about your family. Like, they are the only ones who are actually family. And that comes more natural to you. Like, it's natural to want to call your mom or to want to call your dad or want to call your brother or call your sister. And you think it's not as natural for these relationships to form. But isn't that the point? This relationship, this idea of church, it's not meant to be natural. 
The relationship of being family, a New Testament family, is meant to be it's supernatural. Right? That's why you get people who would do nothing else in life together whenever you get to church. That's why you get people of all ages and ideally all races. And you, know, you, get, you get older men investing in younger men and, and, and younger women you know, uh, pursuing relationships with older women. All these different relationships. We've got nothing in common but Jesus. And that's what unites us and bonds us together. In John 13, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so my desire is that we would see each other grow in the, the one another's that we see in the New Testament. There's, there's over 100 times in the New Testament we see this idea of one anothering. And so just a few of those, just to highlight, we see comforting one another, forgiving one another, building one another up, serving one another, encouraging one another, caring for one another, praying for one another, and ministering to one another. And so I've said this for probably four or five years now, when sojourn was just an idea in my head. If we actually lived out the one another's of Scripture, the people around us would really be attracted to what it is that's happening here. You know, it says take every cap- thought captive. <laughs> I'm taking some of the, my thoughts captive right now. But I'll just say, I'll leave it at that. If we really lived out the one another's in Scripture, which is not easy to do. If you look at that list, it's not easy to do. But I promise you, the people around us would be attracted to what it is that we're doing. So when people say, are you a missional church or are you a attractional church? I say, we're a missional church, but if we live out these one another's, we become a very attractional church at the same time. Because it, like, people would be foolish not to be attracted to that. And I think about, what if we took God's description of the church as a family seriously? What would happen this year if we sought Jesus fervently, loved sacrificially, and shared the gospel boldly? The third thing we see the, the early church devoted themselves to is the breaking of bread. First, we think of the Lord's Supper, which we do every single Sunday night. It was a special time that Jesus promised to be present in a very special way. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, it says, Paul says that we are participating in the very presence of Christ himself in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And second, the larger fellowship more, meal. You see, the, the, the New Testament church, you know, we do it here on Sunday nights and we do it this way, but I love this idea and this picture. I know some churches uh, in our city, I believe the one that maybe you belong to, started doing this, uh, more part of, of, of a larger meal within a home. And so I'd love it even on Thursday night if we do that on a regular basis. And so we see this, this communion is not only about intimacy with Jesus, but it's also about intimacy with one another as we share about Jesus' death and life. And communion teaches us to look at the broken body and blood of Jesus to remind us of his love for us. And then when we participate together, it reminds us of our love for one another. And then the fourth thing that we see that they were devoted to is prayer. And so they expressed their dependence on God, both in home and temple. But what do most of us do today is we will Google a solution or we'll check social media to numb the issue that's at hand. But when the first church was faced with any issues, they prayed. And so that's one reason we're going through the prayer course. And we even looked at this past week, the, the idea that it's not about just going to God with our list of needs, but that we're really about um, pursuing God. And so we're in week two of, I think, eight weeks of just kind of simplifying prayer, but just helping us all grow in prayer. Because I want us to be known as a church that prays. Chan said of prayer in the early church, he said, if you can accomplish your church's mission without daily passionate prayer, then your mission is insufficient and your church is irrelevant. So let me say that again. If you can accomplish, so if we can accomplish Sojourn's mission without daily passionate prayer, which I would say we can't, but if we could, then our mission is insufficient and our church is irrelevant. And so we desperately need to pursue the Lord. 
And so that's, that, you know, there's multiple um, pathways that we're trying to provide for that. Thursday morning prayer, as we announced earlier, but there's a Tuesday morning prayer, there's a Wednesday morning prayer, there's a Thursday morning I don't care what day you go to. I don't care if you go to all three of those days, but I think there's something valuable in getting up early and praying with others. I know you would say you do it on your own, but I think most of us actually don't. We fall short of that. We end up staying in bed and saying, God, bless this day, and then we get up and do our day. Um, or, or come up with an evening prayer. And this is why we're going through the prayer course, because we need to be people of prayer. And I think that's a season that we're moving into, that we just need to fall flat on our face and say, God, we need you. We need you. We need you. The second commitment and value that we see of this, uh, new te- or this early church is uh, community, what we call family, in verses 43 through 46. It says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so I think about what were, the, what were these signs and wonders being referred to? We won't go deep into this, but it talks about tongues and fire and healing. And this was God attesting the people, proclaiming the gospel through these signs and wonder. Now, does God still work this way today? I would actually say yes, that he does. Now, I always kind of put a caution to say we need to discern uh, what is actually happening because some churches have kind of gotten out of balance and they pursue just those things at the neglect of, of the Word of God and, and, and of Jesus. But I do still believe that God operates in this way. And it continues in 44. It said, All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so as I look at it, I see this idea of generosity. We don't really talk about giving a lot here, aside from we say we have a giving box and we want to be generous people. But I see evidence of the gospel taking root in one's life as a glad and generous heart in all areas. And that the, the early church found more joy and pleasure in giving and sharing with one another than possessing the stuff in the first place. You know, that's hard because I didn't really grow up in a family that was that way. It was kind of like, man, I worked hard for this. Like, I'm keeping this stuff. But it's been great. One of the blessings of living off of support, because as you probably all know, Sojourn pays me this much money, but I live off of support of others, is that people are going, man, this isn't my, fi- this like God's giving me this money, much money to manage, but it's not my money. And he's told me to give you this much of the, the money. And so it's just as much yours now as it's mine. And that was a really hard thing for me to get over when I was fundraising. But just seeing more and more people that, that God has said, hey, I'm giving you lots of money, but it's not for you. It's to help others. And, and, and God has allowed me to do that uh, and be here living in this city. And one of the most basic meanings of the Greek word for community is sharing a common life as pictured by the early church. If we jump down to verse 46... It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so that verse 46 really points back to what we discussed in verse 42 and 44. And we're going to see this characteristic of a true revival is a desire to spend much time in worship. It says they devoted themselves to these things. And so as they lived these out, it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so as you look at this list of things, I don't see a ton of strategy or here, read this book that came out by this guy last year and do all these things. You know, nothing wrong with us. I've got a ton of books on my shelf. But I see them living out these values of the New Testament church. And that is where it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think those who are being saved is a really key word there. You know, because some people say, well, how are we going to grow this church? We're going to grow this church by the Lord adding to our number day by day those who are being saved. Well, what if we just go get a bunch of uh, 
transplant Christians. Like, well, we might take a few, but no, we're going to grow by the Lord adding to our number day by day those who are being saved. Well, how do people get saved? Well, it, it happens to going back and living out these values, and people notice that, but I also believe it happens with us proclaiming that value of gospel to people in our lives. You know, it, does it happen by showing it to them? Yes, but I think it also happens by us opening our mouth. God gave us a voice for a reason that we can share this message of hope and this power of salvation with them as well. And so that is how it is that we're going to grow as a church. The third and final commitment in our value at Sojourn is mission. And so it says in verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And then as the Lord added to their, their, their number day by day. Now, I think one thing that's important maybe even point out here is within the context of the early church, it wasn't most likely a larger gathering, but it was more of people gathering in their homes. Because in their homes were people were loving people and praying for people, serving people, and, and giving to the people, which resulted in all these lives being changed by Jesus. And so these homes became places where people of receptivity could come to know and worship Jesus. And so I look at it, what happens when a community of people commit themselves to radically seeing their city saved? You know, that, once again, we exist to see lives changed by Jesus. Nothing else. And so what would it look like to be part of a community that actually not only believed that, but lived that out, and then actually got to see that as a result? What would it look like if we as a community of people came together and committed not to live for ourselves, you know, we can pat ourselves on the back and some, Lindsay was making fun of me this week because I have an iPad Pro and a MacBook Pro and all these things. But if we didn't just exist for ourselves and live for ourselves, but we actually committed to give our lives away. Like what if in 2020 we said, man, we're going to look at what does it look like to be a sacrificial church for the community where you have called us? And what would happen in the city of Portland if we lived this out in 2020? And so I think about, a, a, once again, a passage like this is a snapshot a snapshot I really want to keep in front of us and say, what does that look like for sojourn in 2020? Think about the leader of Indian independence, Mahatma Gandhi, said of Christians, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. I think if we live out the values as expressed in the fellowship of the believers, then may it never be said of sojourn that we are so unlike Christ. It says the early church was devoted to these things 24-7. Of this passage, Tim Keller said, The church itself is a new generation, a whole new people, a counterculture. In it, our economic, racial, social, psychological relationships are all distinct and different from those in the surrounding culture. The church is not simply an aggregation of individuals who are saved, but is a pilot plant of what humanity would look like under the lordship of Christ. We are to show the world a whole new way of being human. Have you ever thought about that? Like the church gets to redefine what it looks like for humanity, like to, to be a human. That it, that it looks entirely different than what our society tells us and what the world tells us by living it out as we've seen here in this passage. And so I think, how do we actually, how do we actually move forward with this? How, how do we actually make a real difference in our world? I think the first step for all of us is to pray. It's sincerely to just seek the Lord and say, God, we need you to show up and move. Because if you look at this, it isn't some like, once again, it's not some strategy. It's not like, here's your three ring binder. I've got multiple three ring binders in my house to tell me how to plan a church. 
Okay? Some of you might be wondering if I'm not using them. <laughs> but the multiple three binders say this is how you do a church. And I've tried many of those things, and some of them worked and some of them haven't. But I look at this and go, this is not, it doesn't really fit nicely in this, this three-ring binder. And it almost sounds simple, like, okay, but how do we actually live this out? But I think it begins by just pursuing the Lord and being devoted to these things and being devoted to one another. And then I think part of that does come in saying of, of repenting of things within our own lives. I've told some of you this. I've had to repent in the last couple of weeks of, of just even my identity being wrapped up in the church and being a church planter and saying, God, I'm just laying this on the altar before you and saying my identity is in Jesus, not this church, not in church planter. And so maybe there's something in your own life to say my identity is not in maybe a student or, or a ministry assistant or a mom or a barista or, or a bank teller, any of these things. My identity is in Jesus. And then we examine our lives and say, we don't want to blame one another and we don't even want to blame the institution of church and we don't want to blame a, um, a network or those supporting us. And so that would just ask us, just kind of think on these yourself. Do we actually believe this message? Do we actually believe in these values? Because once again, it's easy to say them, it's easy to write them down, but do we actually believe them? Because it's not easy to implement them. It's not easy to live them out. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul. We like to put the Apostle Paul on a pedestal. I've done this for years. Because Apostle Paul planted all these churches, and we're like, man, he is like the guy you look at. Like, man, New Testament, or a lot of the New Testament, planted all these churches. The Apostle Paul planted these churches, then he moved on. And then we usually went back, and what happened? The church was a mess. The church was a disaster. And so the Apostle Paul was able to come back and see these things and write these letters. And so we are, we are dealing with the realities of what it looks like to actually live this out. And so do we actually believe in these values? And are we actually behind this vision as a church? And so what does it look like in 2020 for Sojourner to take steps towards bringing joy in this city? I think it really starts out simple. Um, where I've read a book, and I've referenced this book a lot, A Meal with Jesus. If you've never read it, then borrow my copy. There's two copies at my house now. So read the book, A Meal with Jesus. It's a really simple book, but I think it's ways that we can implement this because it happens rarely in corporate gatherings like this. We, we recognize that a lot. But it happens over meals, over coffee, at the kitchen sink, at the domains of influence, and in your natural daily rhythms of life. God has placed you in the relationships you're in for a reason. That person that you sit next to at work, or that person you sit next to at class, or the neighbor next to you, and all these relationships. And that's where life change is going to happen. And then once again, and then the Lord will add to our number day by day those who are being saved. So we want to start praying for those people. So I want us to get really simple, but really intentional this year. And going, who are the people that God has placed in my path who are these people of, uh, Luke 10 talks about people of peace, or I call them people of receptivity, that God wants me to start pursuing. And as Mike shared last week, we want to abide in Christ, we want to pursue the Lord, and then start intentionally seeking uh, to pray for these individuals. And so in your own life, think through this week, what is one way that you can live out the example of the early church? And what is it, how is it that you can grow in being devoted to the things that the early church left as a model for us at Sojourn? It's not easy. Clearly, it's not easy. <laughs> I, could, I could go on so many rants and so many rabbit trails, and I really, really want to, but I'm trying not to. I'm thankful you're here. I love those of you who are here. I love people who aren't here. I want us to grow as a church. I really do. But I want us to grow in the right way. And is it going to be messy? Yes. Is it going to be easy? No. It's going to be hard. 
Yes. But do I believe that God has called us here? I 100% believe that God has called us here and that He's called us collectively here, not just me. And that God's got a plan and a purpose with what He wants to do in this season. Has there been a pruning? Yes. Has that been easy? No. But I do believe that God wants us to pursue Him and seek Him. And I ask that you would trust my leadership and, and me as your pastor as we go forward and be praying for me uh, and be praying for our family and be praying for our church family that we would we listen and be in tune with what the Spirit of God wants us to go. And if, if he says go left, go left, or right, go right, or stay exactly where we are, that we stay there. And so let me pray for us. And then um, Joseph's going to lead us in some more songs of worship. And then... Okay. Um, I'll pray for Crystal's son who's sick. We can respond through communion. As you know, this is a reminder Every single week, it's kind of that reset. That I don't know if you guys need it, but I need it. Even in my own heart tonight, um, I, I had a, a bad attitude when I got here, so I apologize for that. Just wrestling through some stuff in my own heart and life. And so I need that. I need that reminder, and I need that repentance prior to taking um, communion. And yeah, let me pray for us, and then we will respond accordingly. God, we thank you for this night. God, you have called us into an incredibly difficult task. God, may we be reminded that it doesn't rely on us. Have you called us to it? Absolutely. But does it depend on us ultimately? No. God, we want to be obedient to where it is that you want us to go and when it is you want us to move or make decisions and how we do those things. God, as I see this passage, I see the snapshot of what I believe you have called us as your church to be. God, may we be reminded that we are the bride of Christ. And God, we want to uplift your bride, not tear it down. And so God, may we be a church that is devoted to these things. God, I know in this city, that may mean that we are forever a small church. But God, may we be devoted to these things. And if that's what that means, that we'd be devoted to them, that we'd be devoted to you, and that we'd be devoted to one another. God, I do pray for those who aren't with us this evening. You know, different things going on. We know that Crystal's son is sick. And so we just pray that the sickness would leave him quickly. We know when it's our, our younger ones that it's always um, can be scary especially with this new virus going around, God, and so that you would um, heal Evan quickly. God, give uh, Crystal and Mike patience and wisdom and, and attending to his needs. And God, I pray that as we uh, transition into a time of response and go into your table, God, that we would remember the gospel again, that we would believe it, And that we live it out this coming week. In your name we pray. Amen.